Welcome back to A Rock and a Hard Place. I'm your host, Thomas Hale. This week, we are again joined by Dr. Alex Spear, former longtime executive director of the Mineralogical Society of America. Dr. Spear is an MSc fellow and the secretary treasurer of the Geological Society of America's Mineralogy, Geochemistry, Petrology, and Volcanology Division. Following our previous discussion on Dr. Spear's work in mineralogy and the different methods of mineral extraction, today we're going to talk about the geopolitical competition for mineral resources and why minerals matter so much in modern society. Our team would like to note that this conversation was recorded before the Russian invasion of Ukraine. We hope to speak to Dr. Spear about how the current situation will impact global mineral security and global supply chains at a later date. You know, with your years of experience in the field of mineralogy, and we've talked about this subject a little bit before, I want to know about if you see any similarities or differences uh, between the role of science, will in this case be mineralogy, during the Cold War and this kind of new era of great power competition between the United States and China. So specifically, do you think critical minerals may become something similar to the Manhattan Project of the Cold War era, um, and then critical minerals will be like the modern issue for the great power competition between U.S. and China? Well, it's said that the past does not predict the future, but rather informs it. So what does the 1946 to 1991 Cold War tell us about this new era of great power competition between the USA and China? Well, what it tells us is there's actually significant differences. During the Cold War, the Soviet Union and the United States could have been on different planets as far as trade reliance was concerned. The trade between the United States and the Soviet Union averaged about less than 1% of the total foreign trade for both countries. And most trade was limited to raw commodities. I mean, the Soviet Union exported chemicals, metals, petroleum, fur skins, vodka, and fish, caviar, products to the U.S. And in return, the U.S. sent them grains. So that was it. Um, both sides did not want to be dependent on each other for critical materials. And it turns out that the way the things were set up, both could get what they needed within, the, within their own spheres of influence. Uh, the Soviet Union complained about controls on trade by the U.S., which as a form of economic isolation, which it was, but it was both self-isolation on both sides as well. But probably most important, the USR produced very little in terms of the kind and quality of manufacturing goods that were wanted by U.S. consumers or industry. So there was just not much interest in trade. <clears throat> by contrast, in 2020, 19% of total foreign imports by the U.S. were from China. More importantly, about 25% of the manufactured goods imported by the U.S. are from China, and probably if you looked at electronics, it would be much, much higher. And in 2020, about 9% of total U.S. exports were to China. The other is, at the end of last year, 2021, the U.S. Geological Survey proposed a list of 50 minerals and metals critical to the United States. It turned out the U.S. was dependent on China for 33 of them. So, today there is a significantly more economic dependency with China than the U.S. ever had with the Soviet Union during the Cold War. Now, the Soviet Union saw itself as the vanguard of the future, 
and that it would displace the capitalist West. Today, China sees itself as the vanguard of the future, displacing the U.S. as the preeminent country in the world in all things. So both of them have similar worldviews. The critical difference was between now and the Cold War is China was just a lot more successful at it than Russia ever was. Also, unlike Russia, though, China does not appear to have the mineral wealth that Russia has. So it's in a different position than it was Russia. It could not sort of self-isolate in terms of supplies of critical minerals. What other differences do you see between the Cold War Soviet Union and contemporary China when it comes to control of resources and technology? Now, the other sort of things that happened today that did not happen during the Cold War are a number of things that China is doing. They are restricting market access. In other words, restrict market access to their own markets. They have forced technology transfers. If you want to produce something in China, you have to produce it there and also share all the technology with it. China generally has weak enforcement of intellectual property rights of others. Um, they also have preferential treatment of state-owned enterprises in China companies. So when there is a shortage of, let's say, a critical minerals like rare earths, their explanation is, well, we produce all these rare earths and we prioritize our own companies first. So the rest of the world is left behind. They also have discriminatory regulatory requirements. They have singularly unique national standards, mostly to exclude materials of others. China is becoming the main power in Africa and Latin America. It's acquiring ownership of resources and production means of production. It doesn't involve very much of the local population at all. It tends to import its own users and move the material back to China for processing. That's why 80% of the lithium that's produced in the world is uh, shipped back to China and then further processed in China itself. So the other thing that China has done is, of course, their Belt and Road Initiative. So this actually provides the needed infrastructure in various countries in the world, but most of it's geared towards connecting the uh, ownership or the mines and the production facilities that it owns there. Also, the Belt and Road Initiative provides significant opportunities to export and market manufacturing Chinese goods and services in these countries. So, so, bottom line is the words may be different, but in many ways the Chinese goals are similar to the colony and empire building of earlier centuries by the European powers in Africa, Latin America, South Pacific, and Asia. Also, it's very similar to Adam Smith's mercantile system, which is a political economy that sought to enrich the country by producing all you need in-house, restraining imports, and encouraging exports. So in many ways, uh, those colonial empire building and the mercantile system is a closer analog to what the world's like becoming today than actually the Cold War. <laughs> so, but I do think the critical mineral supplies will be the underlying issue of the modern era. And it's going to be very tough to walk back the current situation because of everybody's economic dependency.
definitely a time to be alive, right? <laughs> it's definitely something that I think is is an issue that my generation um, is going to have to face, and it's a weird one to face because we're also facing climate change, right? So it's a weird time to be looking at climate change adaptation and mitigation, which normally requires these technologies that are made up of these mineral resources to decarbonize. Um, so last question here, we ask this with all of our guests. Um, so from your perspective, simply put, so this is perspective from mineralogy, why do minerals matter? And you've talked about this, but kind of a upfront, why do minerals matter? Well, I have, I have three reasons. Most obvious is our discussion here, that they are the base of our existence in the current world. And the best way to see that for people is to do an thought experiment, is to eliminate everything that is mineral-based that you use and want. And what are you left with? <laughs> now, in some cases, they'll say, well, you know, we can grow it. If we can't mine it, we can grow it. But it turns out that even plants and the animals that depend upon them rely on weathered minerals to grow. So if you don't have any minerals, you're not going to have any growing anyway. So you're just, you're just not going to have anything of our current existence without the minerals. As a geologist, I'm interested in the origin development of the Earth, as well as other planetary bodies, both for intellectual curiosity, but also, as I mentioned earlier, because of this is where you need to, what you need to know if you're going to start to find these critical minerals. But the planetary bodies are solid bodies. They're made of minerals. If there were no minerals, the universe would be gas, and perhaps not a terribly interesting place. <laughs> Maybe except for astrophysicists. Um, <clears throat> and the detailed studies of rocks and minerals has shown that they do record their history so we can determine the history of a planetary body by looking at its minerals. The only thing we have for Mars is looking at the rocks. The Curiosity rover looks at the rocks. It gets a little bit of compositional data, a little bit of um, crystallographic data, a mineral ID. But from that, based on everything that we've done, learned from studying the Earth, we can tell quite a bit about what the history, the geologic history of Mars is. Lastly, minerals are interesting. And they're attractive things to look at. Um, this is evident by the large numbers of the general public that will visit a mineral museum, will attend a mineral and gem show. So a number of them will collect minerals, a lot of them wear minerals, and a smaller number belong to local and national mineral clubs. So it's one of the few sciences, other than perhaps biology, or botany, or um, bird watching or so, that you have a following of the general public in the science. So anyway, that's that's sort of the three things why minerals matter. I've always said that we're very lucky and fortunate in this energy transition and this problem that minerals are one of the most exciting things to look at and study and get involved with. So I think we have the best public diplomacy tool. It's just utilizing that as we've talked about before, which is really the big uh, obstacle for the future. Well, Dr. Spear, thank you so much. Uh, for having this conversation today. Thank you so much for coming on. We look forward to having you maybe again sometime on the podcast. And until next time, everyone, this is A Rock and a Hard Place, and I'm your host for today's episode, Thomas Hale. <laughs>